All right, so we just finished watching uh, the first film of our 2007 round, which was my pick, Eastern Promises, the uh, gangster film directed by David Cronenberg. Um, so it's essentially, I'm sure we'll get more in detail into the plot, but essentially a Russian gangster film that involved uh, different elements um, of you know, the Russian mafia, whether it be prostitution, murder... Um, a bit of a crime, double double Def- cross in there. Defamation about one's sexuality. Absolutely. Um, so I've always wanted to see that film, just quickly, made of mine, talked about it quite highly. Um, it was uh, has gained a cult following, won several awards, including the Audience Prize for Best Film at the Toronto International Film Festival. Viggo Mortensen was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor. It received three Golden Globe Awards. And he also won Best Actor at the British Independent Film Awards. So quite a critically acclaimed film. Um, like I said, it's been on my list to watch for a while. The, the situation just never really arose where I felt like putting it on by myself. So I'm glad that we've done it for Film Club now. And we'll just go around and get everyone's um, first impressions, especially considering it was the first time everyone's seen it. So if you want to start, Zan. Uh, yeah, no, um, just as a, as a first thoughts intro, um Big fan of everything Viggo Mortensen's done that I've seen, and big fan of Cronenberg when I've when I've seen the few movies of his that I've seen as well. Um, yeah, you can definitely see Cronenberg styles on it, although he, he goes he more grounded in reality for in this movie than other ones I've seen. There's a he still does enjoy his like um, emphasis on the violence and, and, and the raw brutality, exposing the audience to that as well. Um, which I think is really appropriate for, you know, the Russian gangster movie. Um, I think all round the performances were, were pretty good and it's a ni- nice, tight, what, hour and a half movie and just hit all the beats that you want from, like, a, from, a, from a crime movie. It was really good, I thought. Yeah, um, my take's going to be slightly different than that. I think, um, I think it had a really... I think it really found its feet towards the end of the film. Uh, I think the last 30 minutes were really strong. There were some good revelations, um, some good scenes, uh, uh, you know, as we said, some good action slash um, sort of body, um, body gore to a degree um, scenes, some really rough and gritty uh, set pieces. Um, that being said, I think it, it was, I think it was pretty... Um, chunky uh, and clunky in the first the first half I felt I was a really big fan of Vigo's performance um, throughout the film as a whole but I thought at the start you know the first sort of third of the film um, it was almost quite caricaturist and I think the the film until Vigo got going the film sort of lacked um, a bit of weight because I wasn't a big fan of, of Naomi's performance. Um, and I thought the sort of, for what is, for what is a film, for, for what is a topic with quite a lot of um, meat on the bone in terms of like a really interesting um, setting to, to, to have a look at, you know, the Russian mob um, scene of London. I actually thought it didn't really do a lot with it. It felt quite self-contained and not very expansive and 
um, we sort of kept going back to this, the same places and the same people and although we got a, a slight sort of touch about the, the size of this the size of um, you know the, the sort of the grandiose at play at, at you know in terms of some conflicts with some some other game like um, the, you know the minor conflicts with the other part of the Russian gang the Chechen gang it sort of felt like they couldn't really they couldn't really place this story within its own sort of universe and, it, and it, that sort of um, left me feeling a bit detached but I think uh, but I, I don't want to take away from the film um, because of those initial thoughts and I think I think it did find its legs and it did um, did end quite strongly so um, I'll, I'll praise it for that yeah I think it's interesting I'm just having a quick look on the, the Wikipedia page and do a lot of prior research on this just on Cronenberg's filmography um, he made History of Violence two years before this which I think we watched together Sam yeah. um, which was part of like a bundle of DVDs that someone gave me that was into film, said, you know, these are some of my favourite films, watch them, and then I kind of worked through them. And History of Violence was one of the first ones that we watched. And I think it's... Um, so obviously that's the double collab between Cronenberg and Vigo, but I also think thematically both films are very interested, just like the other film we've seen by him, Videodrome, with exploring violence and also exploring what evil people are capable of. And I think this film, very similarly to History of Violence, kind of starts off with a sticky situation, someone dipping their toe in something that they perhaps shouldn't, and it does build very, very slowly towards a crescendo of either something redeeming happening, but also the unfolding of the violent people actually acting on the violence that's kind of threatened throughout the film. Um, so I think... Yeah, you can definitely see the comparisons between a history of violence and um, and this film, and I did enjoy them for similar reasons. I think probably the acting is better in this film, and I enjoyed this more than a history of violence. But I think history of violence is very critically acclaimed as well. Um, I do understand where Connor's coming from in some regard. I did feel a little bit detached at times, um, in the sense that it did seem very isolated, um, and especially when you're dealing with things like sex trafficking, um, I think perhaps a broader view would have been a little bit more engaging and interesting, but at the same time I do acknowledge that like the point was the intimate connection with the fourteen year old, you know, child prostitute essentially. Um, and, you know, the story unfolding through her diary and that was kind of the commentary on sex trafficking was through her character alone. Um, but I do think um I enjoyed the film you know, thoroughly. I think Vigo's performance was phenomenal. I'm also... I don't agree with Connor about Naomi Watts. I think she was amazing in it, and I'm a huge fan of hers. I love her in Maholland Drive. That's, like, one of my favourite... Favorite, like, one of my favourite female performances ever. I thought she was great in that too, and she's always great in, like, hyper-intense settings where the drama's really heightened and it's kind of, like you know, life or death situations. She just, she doesn't overact. She doesn't underact. Everything just always seems so natural. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, but yeah, I guess digging in a little bit deeper, um, especially, you know, looking at Videodrome where I think the violence is very much unrealistic and as the film unfolds, the violence gets more and more unrealistic. I mean, the violence in that film, the only murders that happen involve ultra-sharp blades and cutting of the throat. And then obviously there's that 
that scene in the um in the in the in the sauna in the bathhouse. Um, but I mean, his depictions of violence—you don't really see anything like it because it's not even like in Tarantino where it's almost like slapstick. Like he's much more interested in presenting violence that's super gory but super realistic, and I think that's why it's super jarring. Um, and yeah, I do wonder in that film, like. Because the history of violence, it seemed like the violence and what it built towards was for a purpose. In this, it seemed almost like a little bit more aimless in the sense that it was just a reflection of, you know, the Russian mafia situation. So what do we think about the violence in the film and how it was portrayed? Like, do we think... Because obviously, the threat was there the whole film, but there was just these few flashpoints where things got out of control. Yeah, so just before before jumping into that, I just want to... Like top five venues for a, for a fight amongst that like yeah. the, the protagonists and villains got to be a bathhouse right just yeah. like you know, bathhouse every one si- yeah. you're vulnerable vaccination line two <laughs> um hundred drive through three yeah. um, yeah. solid <laughs> um, uh, McDonald's Williams Street four <laughs> no but um I was I was thinking that uh, throughout and like it's hard to not do the comparisons to um history of violence having seen it just like there's so many similarities throughout that you just keep being like oh that's interesting like comparing and reflecting on them I think the I mean obviously Cronenberg has a has a is interested in portraying violence um, in in most of his movies but in those two especially I, I felt that it was just like he's really wanting to explore like the like violence and and like when it's done and the, the people who do it like obviously he has the violence and it's done really well but like it's it's more about like the the characters themselves that are hyper violent Mm. Viggo Mortensen's character and both of them are these like clearly the protagonist but like you have this thing in your back of your mind it's like the things he's doing it's just hyper violent and like way over the line but like he's still our protagonist and you kind of have this idea and he does have some moral compass yeah so you kind of like have this idea of like you know he like what what characterizes the good guy when he's also been this over the top brutal about the the way he goes about handling this business? Yeah, well, I think that's what the, that that that's what the violence is for in this film is that juxtaposition between, uh, or it's not juxtaposition, but it's a it's a it's a flag, it's a it's an inflection point on um, what you're supposed to consider about these characters. So I mean, you look at. Um, I think his name is Semyon, the the sort of godfather of the of the Russian mob family. Um, and throughout the film, he's he's quite charming and he's quite softly spoken. And he's um, you know he's a chef. He seems quite you know connected to um, people and to helping others. And he's quite forthcoming to to Naomi what's his character Anna. Um, with assisting her, even though you can immediately tell in this sort of big bad wolf sort of way that he has ulterior motives. Um, but I think the whole time you're sort of, you, you know, you have that sort of feeling of, oh, you know, like, yeah, you know, this guy might be a mob boss, mob, you know, boss, whatever, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's sort of, he seems like he's, he's a man of, of good culture and, and good principles. And I think the violence is there to, to act as that inflection point and say, "Well, we'll hold on," you know, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of malice behind that grin, uh, or behind that, you know, that, that yeah. Because I agree that in the first half of the film, he's almost portrayed as like honourable. Yeah. Like he's old school. He's obviously capable of violence. You're always getting this insinuation that 
he's capable of more than what they're portraying in the film. But it's more respect than fear. Yeah, exactly. And and that's just so with the son's character, who's just a drunk, ultra-violent, looking yeah. for a fight all the time, you know, obviously doesn't um, shy away from portraying in the... Uh, for getting involved in the whorehouses and all that kind of behaviour. Doesn't treat the girls the best, I imagine. Um, but it really turns out that the father's the monster all along. And um, that almost makes it worse that he owns this family business and has all these old ladies and they're singing traditional Russian songs and everything's very homely. And he's the biggest sociopath of them all. You bring, you bring diary to me and I analyse diary. <laughs> and then I look after the diary. We do. Yeah. And I'll contact them myself. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, I've got to pause there. So, we, you know, we've, we've mentioned the director a few times here. So, what's the what's the genealogy here? He's the son of the Cronenberg of the nineteen sixties, like gore horror films, like The Thing and stuff. Or it's the same person? Or no, it's not the same person. He didn't do the thing. I don't. I don't know the family connection. No idea. Right. Maybe someone get that up. Okay. No idea. He, he, he got famous from Videodrome, which is, I think it's the 70s. I um, think he is thinking of the same Cronenberg. Oh, is he? Did he make the thing? Oh. But yeah, like, the, yeah. Cha- the change in pace from that to Videodrome. I mean, Videodrome is like a bad acid trip. That film is quite realistic. Yeah. There's no dreamlike sequences in that film. Um, okay, well, let's... Um, while we're looking at this Cronenberg thing, I'm trying to... We've got so Daniel's internet is, uh, is poor. But, um, Cronenberg... I mean, the thing was, um, wasn't Cronenberg at all, but I think uh, we're thinking of The Fly... Which was like the big Cronenberg one oh, yeah, in like yeah. the 80s. Yeah, but maybe... That's a horror film, yeah. Yeah, it's the same guy, yeah. Oh, the and same and guy. it's the same, yeah, so he's the same like body horror, horror kind of... Yeah, like yeah. like kind of director. What year is Videodrome? Videodrome is 83. Oh, okay, it's a bit later. I thought it was 86, actually. Yep. I swear there's thought. some sort of relationship with the thing. Maybe he did the special effects. Yeah, so it's interesting though. So obviously we're looking at 2007 and, um, you know, it's interesting to see that Vigo was nominated for Best Actor. That obviously wasn't nominated, I don't think, for Best Film or Best Director or anything. I don't really feel like that's the type of film the Academy would like. Um, I think it's probably a little bit too violent and also probably for the time explore some topics that were perhaps not rewarded like they would be now. Um, I feel like the Academy loves Viggo Mortensen though That's which is probably why he got nominated yeah. for Best Actor because like he clearly just loves acting as like mm. the art form and like oh he's one of the greats so for committed sure to it, you know? so it's just like he, he embodies everything that like they, they, they love and obviously he's rolling on a hot streak here right he's okay. just done Lord of the Rings Guilty. films it's 2007 I mean he's gone did he win for Green Book? No, no, the the other guy did. The lead in it did. Hush, Hush Ali. Yeah, yeah he won he, for I think it. he was nominated, though, right? Yeah, for Best Supporting Actor, I think. But yeah, he's obviously got an illustrious career of nominations. 
Um, but I don't think that film was, would ever have been in contention. And, you know, I mean, maybe we'll find when we explore other people's choices that that was perhaps fair if there's other films that were a lot better in 2007. Um, I don't think that's a Best Picture nominee, probably, but, I mean... The cinematography was great, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of... One of my favourite scenes um, in any film, and they had it in... Uh, what's that film of Dan's that we watched about the salesman? Um, Glengarry Glen Ross. Well, yeah, Glengarry Glen Ross. All those scenes when they're just walking through the city and there's a train passing in the background. It's just one of my favourite scenes in film. They just time it, and they had it a few times just in that film as well, when the old man's walking into the flat at the end and you think Figo's going to go kill him... Just like anytime they use a cityscape like that, I'm just in. I'm just in straight away. It's like a bit of rain, bit of drizzle. You're like, we're gonna have a subway pass exactly at this moment. It's like a real living city, right? Yeah. Than just like a set. Like it's just such a nice city. touch. Yeah. It always draws me in. Um, do you want to touch on the um, the best picture nominees and kind of do the Oscar thing? Yeah. Who? What were the best picture nominees? So, yeah. so, so before we do that, should we? We probably should have mentioned at the top of the thing, but... I did mention it. You did mention it to a degree, but we're sort of explaining exactly what we're doing. So we've started in a round, um, in a round of four films, selected 2007 as the theme for those years. Um, So effectively the idea is we all pick a film from 2007. Seems like we're going to go continue on with the theme of, of films we haven't seen, so maybe not necessarily go to the well of the absolute greats of that year which everyone's seen because there are a number of excellent films 2007 There Will Be Blood um, No Country for Old Men Super Bad there are a lot of Gino. of classic films um, but the idea is to look at what is uh, is is generally considered to be one of the best film um, years of film for the last uh, or ever you know in the category of you know, probably one of the top four or five or six best film years ever and um, try and explore the sort of depths of that year and, and find some gems that um, that we haven't necessarily seen and then get to discuss them here. So that's the that's what we are, so that's why we are focused on 2007 and I suppose why the Oscar discussion is relevant here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, obviously No Country for Old Men won Best Picture. The nominees were Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton and There Will Be Blood. It's um, stacked. That's exactly. quite stacked. Yeah, no, like, that's actually um, pretty competitive. But just looking at the best actor nominees, it was Daniel Day Lewis in, the, in There Will Be Blood who obviously won. But after that, it's like, George Clooney and Mike Clayton, which I haven't seen that, but you know, George Clooney's pretty good. And it's like Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd. That's a weird choice. It's a weird choice, right? Um, obviously, Viggo wants in this, who was great, but it, like you were saying, it's not necessarily like an Oscar pick. And then Tommy Lee Jones in The Valley of Eli. So not even Tommy in No Country and not... Uh, who's the main... Who's the lead in that? Um, so Javier Bernal, uh, he won Best Supporting. No, Thaos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's... Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah so... Um, just a weird weird selection for Best Actor. I don't, like, out of that pick, it's... I think that's evident of... Lewis is always going to win. Oh, but, I mean, Daniel Lewis was outstanding. I think that's evident of those other films that are nominated there like for example No Country it's not really a No Country is about the, the the story and it's it's very strongly narrative focused and it has follows various different people throughout it's not really one where a best actor is gonna 
fall from and same with Juno and the same with... I also think quite commonly the best actor nominees are like sometimes don't come from great films. Like in, even if you look at the way that it's someone, an actor has really risen taken above a small role yeah. and really and really done something amazing. Done something the film it. actually itself isn't that good. Especially if you look at you know the winners for the last five years. I think if you look at like you know the guy that won for the Freddie Mercury film and well that was just weird. Yeah, but I'm just saying like you know there's there's plenty of examples. Like it looks like um, Will Smith's definitely going to win this year. He's like a dollar five on really sports bet. And I haven't seen, I haven't watched King Richard yet, but I've heard it's like it's, it's good. good. I've heard it's good, but it's not great. Yeah, it's mm. good. Yeah, it's a good sport film. Yeah, I feel like it's hard to do a biopic that's truly, truly great. Yeah, oh, it is definitely tough. Um, I just wanted to touch on where that kind of sits for me in terms of like the gangster film genre. So obviously, like you know, I know that Lorenzo tends to like Russian um, gangster films quite a bit because they're always a little bit darker a little bit more twisted, involve, you know, it's usually elements of sex trafficking and child prostitution and those sorts of things that you just don't get in Italian mafia films. Um, and obviously that film just has a completely different tone to, like, one of the classic Italian gangster films. Um, but I think, I think it's interesting because you still get quite a strong overlap of that, the cultural aspects that are associated with these organised crime syndicates. Like, there's... Um, you know, there's the family element, there was the, the tattoos, I think, you know, there's a really powerful scene when he strips down in front of, which is essentially, you know, the version of the Italians pricking the finger and you're in the, you're in the group now forever. Um, he gets the tattoo, uh, which is, you know, just a crazy length to go to when you're essentially an inside man. Um, you know, the, the, the food, which is obviously, I think, probably a vehicle for why they've chosen a restaurant as the setting that really adds to the richness of it all. They're constantly drinking vodka. Um, I, just, I just thought, you know, the, the cultural elements, whilst not appeal, as appealing as Italian gangster films, there's a lot more depth in Italian culture in general. Um, the, the, the Russian gangster films, they just have a real sharp edge to them. And I can see why that genre, whilst it's difficult to do, it's very engaging and, like... Just the background, you know, the comments about the KGB, the comments about the Soviet era, um, you know, Russian people from that era in general probably a little bit jaded, a little bit harder, a little bit tougher. Um, and it's just an, it's just an interesting, um, you know, organised crime syndicate to portray in film. Yeah, well, I think it's... Um, I think you're right that it has a, a sense of um, somberness and a sense of grounded um, seriousness that... Uh, certain other films in the in the genre don't have I think with that like given it's London given it's London basis the the mind sort of goes to to similar sort of London films and, and London gangster films and for me those are very different they're generally you know you've either got someone like a Guy Ritchie involved or you've got um, you know a couple of other British filmmakers and they're generally a lot more um, stylized and upbeat. Like some of my favorite films are in that you know in that genre. Things like Layer Cake, um, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, mm. um, a awesome. couple of other things. And those are generally you've got things like narration. You've got things like you know um, hyper editing cuts where something like there's a freeze frame or there's a 
um, a slow motion or something like that. And those films, to me, I, I really enjoy those films, but they definitely have a, a different tone. And generally, I think this film... They're, all, they're just paced so differently as well. Yeah. This yeah. film was happy to... This film was happy to... Um, yeah, to be a bit more sombre in its tone. Yeah, this this film was very happy to have the sit-down extended discussion while we do vodka shots scenes, which you just don't get in those other films. Um, or you get them as a change of pace to yeah to, to, to a, a more exciting... And those aspect. scenes, the sit-downs are, there's guns on the table, it's all very hyper-characteristic, and you know, I think this film was more interested in a re- realistic portrayal of how this shit would actually go down. Like that created created like an atmosphere of like you know more weight and more like it seemed like it was like a institutional violence like power power and violence with it as well. So this is going back generations. This isn't just like a bunch of guys who like can do what they want in this moment in time. It's just like and the, and you see that when the five other heads of the branches of the family come together to inspect um, Viggo Mortensen before giving him his stars. Just like yeah, it's got some weight and it's got some history and. Like, it's, it's truly something to be terrified of rather than just, like, you know, throwing violence around for the sake of it. Yeah, like, these, knowledge, these are not just people that hang out with each other and enjoy each other's company and have just kind of got mixed up in their own group. This is a fraternity where you, you essentially renounce your mother and your father and, you know, you bleed for it. And once you're in, the only way out's in a body bag. I think it's interesting what you said, Steph, about how... Um, there's not a this this the Russian sort of mafia genre is definitely the less explored in popular film um, and I think and what I would say based on this film would be a potential inference for that is because it's quite hard just to get the Russian aspect mm. down like I think the Killian the Sun um, I'm pretty sure that guy's not Russian. And I think there was a lot of times where he sort of slipped, you know, from his Russian accent into um, into English, and you could just see like the difficulty in. And it, for me, it sort of it broke a little bit of the fourth wall um, and a bit of the mise en scene. Um, yeah, he came across a few times as like the villain from the first Triple X film. Yeah, I he's think, just like dropping the accent, and I'm like, what? Yeah, I think that's, I agree with you. That's and I think that's that's, like, that's that's the kind of thing that can because obviously stuck up on the Italian American films. You just you just cast Italian Americans, mm. you know, like pretty much besides James Gandolfini, all those other guys like kind of do talk like that. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it just converts better. I think it also like because like the history of cinema also has this like caricature of the Russian villain mm. throughout. So it's James like, Bond films. Yeah. So like with the whole Red Scare and all the movies that came out of that and, and well after that as well, it's just like Russians have been the villains for so long and it's kind of like a bit of like a caricature of itself. So anytime they try to be menacing or like proper scary, it's just like... I've seen this before. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got this context that it's just it kind of warps it a little bit and the accent just kind of like doesn't hit the way it otherwise would. That's why I do like how they had quite a bit of Russian in the film with the subtitles. Because yeah, yeah. obviously, like, I've got no issue with subtitles. I actually kind of wish there was more yeah. of it. Um, especially in the scenes when they're not talking to someone that they would be talking 
in English too. Yeah. So when they were talking amongst themselves, just like, just subtitle all their scenes. Mm. Yeah. You know, that would have just been a lot more authentic and would have been better. The dialogue did seem a lot stronger when it was... It was, in yeah. Russian, yeah. It was. It's like they almost say, it, they almost say the significant lines for Russian, mm. which is probably deliberate, obviously, but yeah, more of the script in Russian probably would have, would have been a nice touch. Um, okay, so what do we think about the son clearly having suppressed homosexual urges? So they, they drop in that he's been spreading lies, um, which is why they killed that guy, that he's homosexual. He's obviously an alcoholic as well. But, like, there's, just, there's no mistake in those scenes between him and Vigo in terms of how they're embracing compared to how they embrace everyone else in the film. So, obviously, the insinuation is that, you know, he's... Vigo has infiltrated, he's kind of worked his way up the ranks, presumably they've spent a lot of time together, have become quite close, but I would say like, I don't even think it's like a controversial read that he has homosexual tendencies oh, and no, feelings towards him. I think that's completely, that's evident in the, yeah. in the film. Yeah. Um, the question is, what is it? What does it represent? I mean, obviously it adds tension, um, so it serves that narrative purpose, but from a thematic purpose... I suppose it's a, the juxtaposition between the hyper-masculinity of the Russian um, mm. mafia and the sort of suppressed sexual nature um, of of the individual and almost sort of karmic retribution for the sexual violence that he perpetrates against, you know, slave-trafficked women that he is in fact himself terrorised by his own sexuality. Yeah, doesn't the, the the woman make the comment in her diary that he can't, can't get it up? And then, no, so, so yeah, so she said, so, he, so then the father he, he threw her down the stairs, tried, tried to rape her, couldn't, and then yeah. the father took over. Like, beat her a bunch because he couldn't? Yeah. 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 Um, I also, sorry, just quickly, I also think narratively they need that connection for him to be able to convince him to not throw the baby in the water at the end. Mm. If they don't have that intimate connection, he probably loses it and his loyalty to his father is too much and he tosses the baby. Yeah. Presumably, his homosexuality is part of the reason why Vigo Morton can get so close and get introduced as, That's like, good point, the, as, yeah. the, as the implant you know, like the really target this person that has it. Yeah. Um, but I think like it also, you have this... I mean, you could have that read of... With the exploration of the violence, you, you have, like, his his dad being this, like, weight and this power behind it's very soft, but, it, like, it, it speaks volumes, and, and obviously his violence is the opposite, and it's coming from this internalised, just, like, thrashing against the world kind of um, nature, and it's, just, like, I guess a further exploration of the, the different types of, of, of violence and, and their sources and, and the way they present and whatnot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it, it's interesting because the father even there's that scene where he talks about why he can't go back to Russia. There's this this theme throughout the whole film of like where they come from is fucked. They've come here and brought all the violence and every and all the trauma from where they've come to this new location. But then he blames this new location. And it's essentially progressiveness and modernity and everything else that London has to offer on what's turned his son into a homosexual. Rashid, when he makes, Rashid Khan. Yeah, where he makes that comment to Vigo 
um, about London's responsible for my son, mm. where obviously there's way deeper rooted traumas and he himself has probably played a much more significant role in his son's issues and trauma than, than London ever could have. Agreed. We're going to talk about the symbolism of the underage prostitute being Ukrainian, or that's a good point. The uh, the naivety and fragility of Ukraine being empowered by dominant mas- masculine masculinity of Russia. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I suppose it's ahead of its time, but but not really because that sort of conflict has been ongoing for many decades now. Um, now it's just bringing in the new world order and, and raising gas prices. But, you know, kind of everything that we want. Kind of anything to be yeah, well, I think it's back I did, to normal in these days. I read something recently that Ukraine had one of the highest sex trafficking rates in the world. Like, I think it's, it's like, Brazil and Ukraine are, like, pretty neck and neck in terms of, like, per capita. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in total, I think Brazil's probably... With the... South you, America. With but Ukraine. I think Russia... Russians, despite having quite nationalistic views of Ukraine um, and wanting Ukraine to come under the, the Russian arm, from my understanding, like, have historically treated Ukrainian women quite terribly. It's weird that Ukraine's, yeah, highest at the top of the table in human trafficking and sex trafficking, also top of the table in US biolab installations, um, lots of other things. I mean, there's lots of strange things about the Ukraine situation, isn't there? The, uh, you always start uh, raising question marks when the leader of any country is a former actor or potentially still a paid actor. Um, and recently just declared himself as sole sole leader and, yeah, well, and the opposition party actually that's the first thing you do in war times you remove democracy mm. not that democracy is ever there to begin with or that is ever really there at all <laughs> there it is <laughs> <laughs> no I think um, I think it is interesting though that you know on the Ukraine conflict that the US has acted you know like the the reason for the war is that Russia hates democracy. That line of thinking, which is the line they use, you know, all around the world, these in South America, these in the Middle East. The reason why this rebel group or this other nation is impeding on this nation's sovereignty is because they hate democracy. They hate that they've, you know, elected someone and it's the will of the people. When usually the US has played historically a very large role in influencing that election and ensuring that the candidate that wins plays ball with the US. But to be fair, yeah, to, to be fair to the US, you have to give them to the fact that that's not necessarily the US government that's doing that. It's the deep state uh, three-letter agencies. That's true. I use the word government quite loosely. Deep state is probably the CIA and the rest of the terrorist organisations that form the deep state are probably much more responsible. And uh, obviously, we just want to quickly give a quick shout-out to Hillary Clinton, who's been tested positive for COVID. We hope she's doing okay, um, that she's recovered. We hope that she doesn't transmit it to Bill, because God knows Bill would have transmitted things to her over the years. 
And um, we hope she's on the men soon to ensure she can run in 2024. Hope she's been quadruple vaxxed so she can get through it. I'm sure the adrenochrome will keep her going. <laughs> I don't think uh, this one's probably getting <laughs> shattered. <out. laughs> we've, we've, we've mentioned Andy Baddocks, adrenochrome. <laughs> Ukraine conflict. Ukraine conflict. Ukraine bioweapons. Yeah. We need Maritz here here just to level things out a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, if we go on Dan, Jimmy's there's the second best. <laughs> I think Maritz might be more radical than Dan. Well, he's Maritz here stands or something. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about the film? Um, what didn't you like about Naomi Watts' performance? I wouldn't say there's anything I really didn't like about it. Just, to be fair, it probably was a bit of the, of the writing as well. I think there were just aspects that, you know, as we said, we had made a couple of jokes about the film. It's like, is this woman working? Like, what is she What is she doing? Like, it's just the, the, the way the narrative was structured, it just kind of felt like she was always just, like, like hanging around. And it like, kind of did feel like so much of the focus was on the Russian narrative yeah. that she was, like, a side piece... I do know what you mean from there, but I just think what she was given to work with, she did well. Yeah. But I do agree that like she did feel a bit side piecey, you know. And that was kind of like we need this to push the story forward. We need the diary yeah. aspect. We need you know the the difference between because if the Russian film is just the Russians perpetrating violence against each other all the time, right? So you still have the storyline of the Chechnyans getting involved in that sort of thing. It doesn't have the same value when it's you know potentially against her uncle and then against her and. So I do think she's in there for a bit of filler. And, um, look, I don't know. Well, on that note, I thought the kiss at the end was a little out of place. Mm. Like, I understand that it was a you know, very emotionally tense situation. He's just saved the baby. He's shown more depth and more heart than he's shown the whole film. But in the lead-up, I'm not sure there's much there for her to think, maybe this guy has a heart. What? Like, the he, fixes the, he fixes the bite. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, there was definitely this sort of sexual tension there, I think. And it's all sort of like... Well, he's a good-looking guy. It's all sort of the thing about, like, you know, oh, is, he, but she can, is, he, <laughs> is he right for me? Or, you know, but he's, he's so wrong, game. but maybe he's right because he's so wrong sort of thing, you know, like... Yeah, I don't know, maybe. I just think... Because, like, you know, the film ends, and, and what, are we, what are we meant to believe after that? That they that obviously their family raises. I thought well, she was going to walk out in the backyard and, oh, and right. Vito was going to. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. And I was, but I was like, that's not a Cronenberg film. That's not how this is going to end. Yeah. So oh, I think the insinuation he's going to keep being involved in the, because we don't think he actually cares about the police, right? He's way too deep. He's not getting out. He's killed people. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not. He's not given information anymore. He's, he's got stars tattooed on him. He's he in. said to the police, like, oh, I'm going to be the head of the family. Like, why would the police need yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> It's the South Park characters shooting out the... <laughs> putting the, in the bag for DNA. Yeah. <laughs> you're busted doing, sleeping with all those men. It's like, yeah, you're taking this a bit far. Um, <laughs> but I had that same thing with the Naomi, um, Naomi Watson uh, bit when she, she was just like, like, how do you do it? Or whatever she said to him. I'm just kind of weird. It feels like it's coming from left field. Like, we've just been with the Russians for the last, like, 20 minutes. 20 minutes, minutes yeah. And suddenly you're just like, how could you do this? Yeah. Yeah. See your brains? Yeah. I'll start. Um, 
like I said, yeah, I, I really enjoy that genre of film. I'm glad I've seen it because I think it is a, you know, people talk about it as one of the the best kind of Russian gangster films and I think it had a lot of depth to it, a lot of themes in there to explore. The lead performance is awesome. But I did think, much like I thought after History of Violence, I did think it was a bit slow. I did think it took a while to get going. Um... Whilst I do like those more character piece films, I didn't think there was enough in the script and the characters to justify that pace. Mm. Um, so I've, you know, what I'm saying, I have no issue with a slow film, yeah. but it needs to. There needs to be something there, and I'm not sure that there was enough there for me to be to be really engaged. Um, I did still find myself glued to the screen. I really enjoyed it. I knew it was building towards something. Um, you know, the the violence is great don't see much of violence portrayed like that in films, especially not anymore these days. Um, so I think I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I think that... You know, I echo a lot of those sentiments. I think there's a, I think there's a really good film in there with uh, some editing and with some better performances from a couple of the characters, maybe mainly the Killian bloke. Um, and maybe a better script. Yeah. Yeah. But I think not even necessarily a better script, but I think like maybe just more know, trim it down trim it down a little bit and yeah. like put some more emphasis on the good parts. Um yep. so yeah, I, I agree. I think it'd be, you know, there are elements of the film where I'm like fuck, am I watching like a you know, is this an SBS like crime you know, crime show that is showed at eleven o'clock on Thursday nights. Yeah. Um, and then there are other elements which were which were really good. And I think, like, just given, like, given the qu- the quality of films that we've seen on this pod, in terms of, like, trying to then place this film in that context, like, I'm going to personally have to give it, like, pretty low. Like, I think I'm going to give it, like, a like a 6. Um, I was tossing about a 5.5, but I really like Vigo, and I, I, th- I, and I, I really enjoyed his performance, you know, across the whole film. Um, so I'm going to give it a 6, but... Man, I'd like to go back and look at what you gave one hour photo. Yeah. What did I give that? Well, I don't know. I'm interested. The six seems low. I didn't mind one hour photo. Really? I think I gave that a five or a six. Maybe a six. I like that more than one hour photo. Yeah. Did you like that more than one hour photo? No, I think I liked one hour photo. Really? Yeah. Did you yeah, like you, and, you, and you and Dan. You and Dan. I definitely like that more than Mel's. Sick. <laughs> 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 At the end of every film, I'm like, did you like that more than Mel's? <laughs> yes, I liked that more than Mel's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Mel's. Of course, Brooklyn, I liked it more than Mel's. Mel's Brooklyn, like. Was a Netflix movie and felt like a Netflix movie. I'll always take. I'll always take a. I'll always take a 11 p.m. on a Thursday SBS movie over a Netflix movie. Dude, I'm pretty sure <laughs> Mother's Brooklyn got like threes and fours. Like, it was like I think I gave it a three. <laughs> it's like you didn't even study; you just rocked up. <laughs> Edward Norton just started shooting. <laughs> He's like, that Valley Baldwin. Didn't he have a, didn't he have like a fucking stutter or something? What did he have? Yeah. He had like a, like, what am I doing? <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah, look. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree with what, with what was said in that. Like, I, I think it, the movie could have done more and I think it wanted to. I think it just like, it didn't all come together in the end. Um, 
whether, whether it needed a, a bit more of the violence or it needed just a, a bit less of the bits of the extra family thing, maybe a bit more between Vigo and Naomi. Do you know, but there was just something that felt slightly off, but I, I still really liked it, uh, at least the parts that were done well. Like, I, I agree, a seven seems right. All right. I don't think we're we're doing the 2007 round in any particular order at the moment, so I'm not sure whose film's going to be next. But I think everyone's chosen their film. Do you want to quickly just say what films we've chosen for the round? Yeah, so um, I was tossing out between a few films and... Zeitgeist, um, you planned on Zeitgeist. I was coming... <laughs> I was actually coming here and thinking about the the uh, the petrol price and thinking about how something like there will be blood would be very pertinent to talk about. But I think what this what this podcast is about and what this film club is about is um, about exposing ourselves to films that we haven't necessarily seen before, um, so that we get that fresh take and um, we can just sort of analyze it on the fly and have a casual conversation and, and hopefully enlighten ourselves. Um, and, and listeners about that. So I'm going to go with something that I haven't seen, which is um, considered to be one of the better films of the year, um, and that is The Assassination of Robert Ford by the coward Jesse James. Or the other way around, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Nice. And then? Um, I don't have a big spiel. I've just wanted to watch Sunshine for some time, so I picked Sunshine. Came out nice. that year. Yeah. And Dan, have you picked your film? Not yet? Yeah, not yet. Okay. And Dan's is still to be determined. Thank you.